And so oftentimes when I go and present a study to you, I ask you a hovering question. And tonight the title is actually the hovering question. And uh, thank you, Chris Tomlin, for writing a song that helps us to remember it as well. But our question tonight is, how can I keep from singing? And uh, hopefully by the end of tonight, you'll ask yourself that, yeah, how, how could I keep from singing? I, I can't. It just comes out of me, flows out of me. And one of the things we've been studying as we've been going through this is right there on the front cover of your study each week, and that is the Shema. And we've actually learned to say that as a song. So let's go ahead and say that again together in English at the bottom there, and then we'll say it. And then we're going to try again to sing it. So let's say it with me. Here we go. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then we have the Shema up there. Are you ready? So Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. And let's try again to sing it. I'll lead and then we'll see how you do. Maybe you're remembering. It goes like this. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Echad. Wow. Wow. Amen. That's beautiful. We could we could take that. We we can take that on the road. That was so beautiful. I think maybe we should sing it on Sunday, like the little kids we put them up. Oh, did she say that? Oh, it floated some here up into my little con- All right. Done and done. So let it be written. So All right, so we wrapped up our last lesson together at the end of Exodus chapter 14 with these words. Thus the Lord, thus Yahweh saved Israel in the loud cheer. Woohoo! Israel saw the Egyptians dead. Israel saw the great power that the Lord Yahweh used. So the people feared Yahweh and they believed. They, he saved, they saw, they saw, they saw, they saw, they saw, they smelled, they experienced they, all the things, right? And all of that added, if you could put plus signs in between all of that. And they, what? Believed. You know, how could they not? Huh, that's amazing to consider everything that he had done, what they had come from, what they're witnessing now with dead Egyptians sprawled all over the, the sea behind them in the sand. And so as a result of that, they could not help but sing. So they saw, they saw, they saw, they believed, and they sang. So chapter 15, verse 1 erupts, literally just erupts right there. The road is behind them. The path is before me. And I couldn't help but thinking of that song. Remember, I have decided to follow Jesus. And there's a chorus in there. The road behind me, the path before me. And that's how they were right now. So they're singing this big, beautiful song. And they're onward. And as they were heading out, if you recall, God directs them away from that northern route. Later in history, the Romans will come through and do some conquering in the land. And they take five days to go from basically that spot where the Israelites were, it takes five days to go from there right up to where, where actually right now is Gaza, that whole area. Five days, straight shot. But he said, you couldn't handle it. You'll faint with fear because they're going to all attack you. And so he sends them down north. We talked about that a little bit in the last message. And there's these the two paths. He sends them on this longer journey down. They need time to become. They need time to be who God is calling them out of Egypt to be. They've been saved, and they're in the process of being what? Set apart all the way through, right? So they're heading southeast into that Sinai Peninsula. And as we read the story, if you're like me, are you seeing yourself 
Are you seeing the parallels in your own life and your own spiritual journey? Like you need to learn what God is doing in your life and, and you find yourself maybe identifying with the grumbling or the doubting as we've read, as we go through. And it's a beautiful thing to be able to go through God's word and see ourselves. And that's what God's word is there for. So we can understand and go, oh yeah, that's me. I do that too. But I will caution you all to be careful as we go through, not to overly moralize a story and, um, and take little life lessons from it because then we do turn the Bible into like an Aesop's fables. We want to be careful. God's word is absolutely there for us to learn, but we are primarily here to, to meet who? God. Our focus is on him. Let him reveal himself to you and then move forward. So we're going to be careful and we're going to say, okay, asking this question, what's the best commentary on the Old Testament? The New Testament. And so if it's mentioned in the New Testament or later on in the Old, then that is absolutely something, especially when the New Testament writers take it and give us a lesson to learn. And we're going to see more and more of those coming up. I was telling the leaders at our meetings, and it's really been difficult for me. I feel like I'm throttling myself as I've been moving through Exodus, knowing where we're going and wanting to just expand on all of it right now. Uh, but we're going to be covering it and really seeing more of these lessons that point to Christ and how the New Testament reveals so much and I'm excited because believe it or not I'm thrilled that we're going to enter into Leviticus next <laughs> believe it or not I'm really excited about that so we're gonna have fun so we have to be careful not to overly uh, spiritualize or moralize the Bible um, but when the New Testament or later in the Old talks about it we certainly can do that so they begin to sing and here's their song I will sing to the Lord Yahweh for he has triumphed gloriously the horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea the lord yahweh yahweh is my strength and my song he has become my salvation this is my god right this is my god and i will exalt him i will praise him my father's god and i will exalt him they're going back to their history this is who I, i'm seeing him be now and they're going back Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, my father's God, I will exalt him. The Lord, Yahweh is a man of war. Yahweh is his name. And what a beautiful affirmation of the truths about who God actually is. We could just take this and meditate on it, and that can be our, our powerful scripture and reminder. And what I want us to see as we look carefully in some of these uh, verses here is that we see that it says the Lord, Yahweh, is my strength. He doesn't say he gave me strength. Remember, because they didn't do anything. They didn't do anything. They, well, they walked. God did it all. God split the ocean. God covered it back over the Egyptians. They just walked. So he is my strength. He didn't give me strength. He does give us strength. That's, uh, we know that. But he is my strength. And he has become my salvation. It was very visceral, very real for them because they had literally had experienced and they were seeing it behind them and they were still smelling it. Um, and it was just all around them. And so I will praise him, my father's God, I will exalt him. And then we get to this incredible definition of who God is. And as you look through, I want you to see all the equal signs. Every time you see the, the word is, it's an equal sign. Yahweh is, he equals that. Um, he has become, it's a, that's another equal sign. He is my God, I will praise him. My Father's God, I'll exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. And that can, that can be exciting until you realize what war looks like, right? And then that's like, ugh, war is pretty ugly. And the Lord is a man of war. And we meet this aspect of God, and uh, we love the idea of God fighting 
for us, but they're declaring that he is a man of war. Like, do not mess with the Lord God Almighty. And you want to know who he is? Yahweh is his name. Remember that whole incident all the way back at the beginning of Exodus. Who are you? Who is this God? You know, Pharaoh was asking and Moses said the same thing. Well, who do I say? What's your name? You want to know his name? It's everything that's the equal sign and all those descriptors right there. Who is this? Who are we talking about? In case anyone missed the message, Yahweh is his name. And they go on to ask this great rhetorical question that needs no answer. Who is like you, O Lord? No one is the answer, right? No one. Who is like you among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness? Again, no one is like you. Awesome and glorious deeds, no one is like you. Doing wonders, no one is like you, right? You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them the Egyptian and remember Pharaoh was dealing with them with a heavy hand and God says oh you want to see a hand you want to see how this works I'll just stretch the whole thing out and I'll wipe all of you out and he's the man of war not to be messed with what has he done you have led in your steadfast love your chesed this beautiful Hebrew word that is difficult to understand and a lot of translations move in on it differently we're going to uncover the meaning of that word later on in the study you have led in your steadfast love he's the man of war who leads in faithful ongoing continuous what love and that's again hard for us to bring together man of war steadfast love and all perfectly just is who our God is. The people whom you have redeemed, that's who you have led. And this is one of the very first uses of this word redeemed in the whole Bible. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. Pause right here and think. Are they in the holy abode? They are not. They are not in the holy abode. What are they saying? They are speaking about their past and what God has done and their speaking about their future that hasn't even happened yet because they're so confident in it. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. In this moment, they are seeing themselves with God as if that is just a done deal already, right? The people have heard, and then when they're talking here, they're talking about the other nations all around, including wow. themselves. They tremble. There still is a stone. Did you ever play that game when you were a kid, the, the, the statue game? There's still a stone. Maybe the Israelites, God won't see us. We'll just see here, like blink a little bit, and not let them pass by. There's still a stone until your people, O oh Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have what? Purchased, first use. And this way is of this word right here is, is purchased. Say this, kana. Can you say that? Kana. That's the Hebrew word that has the root of purchased in it. And say it again and listen for a name in the Bible that may be familiar to you. Kana. I'll give you a hint. Um, think of the first three people who God created or existed. God created. Um, kana. It's the name for Cain. It means I have acquired a son. That's Cain's name. I've acquired a son. And oftentimes throughout the Bible, you'll see this, this word kana referencing to land. It's usually about land that gets acquired, right? And uh, later on, we do have one other person that was literally acquired, uh, very famous. And uh, this word kana was used to reference his experience and what God did in his life. Can anyone think of who that person might be that got acquired? Late or earlier on, before Moses on all that, it was Joseph. Joseph was acquired by Potiphar. 
And the word was used to to talk about what that looked like that he was acquired by or purchased by. And so now, uh, Israel says, "You purchased us from Egypt. You acquired us. We are bought, and we are owned." Is what they're saying by you. We are your possessions. So when you read God's word and you see the idea of someone owning someone, and we shirk back at that. This seems wrong. I. I'd like you to really move in on that. You are bought. You are God's property. If you have given your life, he purchased you. And you've said thank you and have received that, that gift of that purchasing that he made for you. So Paul reminds us of this in 1 Corinthians 6.20 that we were bought with a price. So what do we do? Glorify God with our body. That's the call. We're, that's who, our, who we are, bought with a price. So what do we do? Glorify God. And that's exactly what they do. Miriam grabs her tambourine, grabs the other ladies, they're dancing around, singing his praises. The song hits the top 40 charts in the area, and they're just singing it all out to God. They're set free. They're singing. They're saved. They're set apart from what their life was. And that sweet, beautiful, amazing victory that they have experienced, that God was their strength for, they did nothing. They just walked through onto his side they are headed now into the reality of life ahead. How many of you have experienced that too? You're so happy what God's done. You're rejoicing in him. You're singing his praises. And you walk out of church, close the door, hop in your car, and then drive off into reality, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's so true, right? They are leaving this area, which is now called, it wasn't called at the time this, but it's now referred to as Ayun Musa. Ayun Musa, which means the Springs of Moses. And that's that area just on the other side where, they, where most people believe that they cross the, the Red Sea, the Reed Sea. And they, they head out. They've got the song in their heart. They've got that, that victory fresh in their minds. And then they went three days, three days into the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Mara, uh, which they called it later Mara, they could not drink the water of Mara because it was what? It was bitter, right? And remember Naomi, she changes her name later on, and she calls herself bitter, right? This is where it starts from. Okay, Naomi. Uh, therefore, it was called bitter. It was called Mara, and the people grumbled against Moses. Against who? Against Moses. What are we going to drink? And then Moses does what? He sets the example of exactly what they should have done. Cry to the Lord, right? Moses leads by example right here. Keep this in mind. Moses is on his own faith journey as well. He has to learn. And he also has to lead these lovely, interesting people. Uh, so he's learning. What, what is the lesson? What is the reminder in this story? Or I really want to say account. Because we, we want to make sure we talk about the Bible in the sense of an account. Because a story is a tale we might tell. But an account is something that actually really did happen. So we, I try to remember to say these accounts. What's the lesson? What's the reminder in this account? To learn, because what ends up happening next, the people grumble against Moses. What do we drink? And he cries to the Lord, and the Lord shows him a bucket of water. He just makes water. We know we can do that. He did it at the very beginning, and God said, right? He shows him a log. Okay? And so he says, all right, grab that log and start knocking their knees because they need to get on their knees before me. I mean, that'll teach them, right? No, toss the, toss the log into water. And the water became sweet. 
So is, is the lesson here about learning about where is that log? Let's find that log. Wouldn't it be nice if we knew the etymology of that word log there and what tree we can find in the Middle East and maybe go study it and solve world hunger because we can find out about... Is that, is that the moral? Is that the story? Yes. <laughs> Gold star. <laughs> what is the example? What do we learn? Well, we look first to see what Moses does rightly here. Christ to... The Lord, he cries to Yahweh, and he shows him the log. God provides. Listen, God provides in natural ways, just simple natural ways. He provides in miraculous ways, and sometimes he amplifies natural things and causes them to become supernatural. A log, some water, and I'll change that to make it. And so we have in this uh, section here that the Lord tested them saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice, listen to the voice of the Lord and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. For I am what? I'm Yahweh, your healer. And this is the first time that God has revealed his name as healer. And where did he do it? At the place where the water was bitter, three days out of their journey, singing that song, the stench of dead Egyptians behind them, the splash of water returning to where it should have been, closing in on them, destroying their enemy, God protecting them and not letting them go up north, but heading them down south, three days in on their journey. And they face bitter water. And God says, I'm going to give you another name for me because listen, You've seen me as a powerful, destructive God. And I'm going to show you I'm also a healer, right? It's been 400 years. This is all they've experienced is the the greatness of God smiting the Egyptians, wiping them out, plagues, frogs, lice, fleas, all the things that he sends on them. And he says, all right, obey my commands, listen to me. And I will put none of the diseases, a euphemism of all the things. I will smite you in no way like I did the Egyptians. For I am your healer. I am Yahweh. That's my name. Your, your healer. And so God reveals his name and he, his promise to them. Uh, if they do this, he'll do that. And avoid this if they do that. He heals the water and he will heal them. This is God's message to them. Look what I will do. Their powerful, delivering God, their mighty man of war is also a healing God. And so then they move on from this bitter Mara to Elim in chapter 15 in verse 27. They come to Elim where there are 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees and they encamp there by the water. And what a beautiful picture that they don't even really know fully yet. But Moses writing this account later sees it, doesn't he? He later sees all these things and he's able to point them out because we know it they know it later and they're they're starting to get it now um but they as moses is writing this he says you know i'm 12 springs and all the 70 trees alim is the hebrew it simply means palm and so they name that area there this beautiful oasis where they can rest from the bitterness and be acquainted now with god their healer and um chapter 16 begins verse 1 they set out from Elim 
all the congregation and the people of Israel come to the wilderness of sin, just so you know, it doesn't mean sin, it's just a word that sounds like our word sin, but they're going to sin and sin, we kind of get that picture too, not kind of hard to miss that. Uh, it's between Elim and Sinai um, on the 15th day of the second month, and uh, they departed the land of Egypt, and the whole congregation of the people grumble. <laughs> there we go, once again. They grumble against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the people of Israel said to them, would that we have died in Egypt, or at the hand of the Lord, at the land of Egypt, where we sat by the meat pots, and we ate bread to the full, or you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill us, whole assembly with hunger. It's almost, it, well, it is laughable. It's just like, how, really? How could they be that ungrateful, that blind? But here's the deal. Is their complaint connected to the reality of what they're experiencing? Yeah, yeah absolutely is. There's nothing wrong. They are experiencing what they're experiencing. But what they're doing, what they're experiencing now, is rather than relying on the reality of what has brought them to this moment, they're looking ahead, and that's causing anxiety. Because ahead is just this blurry haze of, we don't know how this is going to be, and we're just basically predicting doom. It's not going to work out well, right? They're looking ahead, and that, that creates anxiety, that creates an anticipation of, hey, it's not going to ever work out for us. And as a result of that, it distorts their past, right? Because who were they in the past? They were, they were slaves. That was their identity. That's all that they were. And that lack of remembrance of their past so quickly fading away turns them into complainers against the leaders that God had given them, Moses and Aaron, and it's the Lord who responds. All right, behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven. And the people shall go out, and they shall gather a portion every day, that I may, what's his purpose there? Test them, whether or not they will walk in my law or not. And he goes through the whole description there of how this is all going to take place and, and how he's going to... Um, you know, provide the manna for them and it's going to cover the ground and uh, give all the rules and regulations and he tells them on the sixth day when they repair what they bring in it's going to be twice as much and they're going to gather that daily uh, so Moses and Aaron call all the people of Israel together and say at evening you shall know that it was the Lord Yahweh who brought you out of the land of Egypt and in the morning you shall see the what the glory of the Lord highlight that in your Bible Make a note of that, because as we move into this next lesson, Moses is going to specifically talk about this. And I want you to remember here that in the provision of food, the quail and the manna, you will see the glory of the Lord right there. That is the glory being revealed in what? In his provision in spite of their attitude. In his grace above and beyond what they had ever expected or could possibly have imagined. In his mercy for them for not giving them what they deserved, which was to clock him with that log, you know? To go ahead, go ahead, go back to Egypt, go back to your meat pots, right? Go ahead, go ahead and be enslaved again, right? You see, God doesn't give us what we ask for when he has something better in mind and something that will do what? Proclaim his glory, that we will see his glory. He showered them with food. That was his glory. And coming up um, later on, you'll see this in chapter 33, Moses is going to ask God to see his glory. And that's going to be another aspect of seeing God's glory. Right now, we have God's glory in us, but the people need to learn to see it in all the daily ways that he reveals himself.
So because he heard the grumbling against the Lord, he says, for what are we that you grumble against us? Moses says, and the Lord give you the evening meal and the morning bread. This is God's mercies new. He's teaching them. God's mercies are new every morning, right? And uh, you're grumbling, he, he says to them, it's not against us, you're grumbling against the Lord. And so God, he, Moses gives them all these instructions on how everything is going to take place. And he reiterates the Sabbath here. I want you to pay attention as you move forward into Lesson 4 as well, as every time the Sabbath is mentioned, what came right before it and what comes right after it. The Sabbath is mentioned in these incredible blocks. And so pay attention, look for that kind of hint as you, as you get into this next study. On six days, uh, you're going to gather on the seventh day, um, which is a Sabbath. There's going to be none, so don't, don't bother gathering it. So chapter 17 then in verse 1. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved and camped at Rephidim. Uh, but here we go. There's no water for them to drink when they get to Rephidim. Now before they had water, but it was bitter. And now there's absolutely no water at all. What to this point have they witnessed God do with nature? Is God fully in charge of all the molecules? They don't know that word, but is he? Is he demonstrating that he's completely fully in charge of all the, the molecules, everything? Um, at the very least, he commanded the entire sea to split open. He knows how to move water around, right? He makes it from bitter to sweet. And now that they get to this place and there is no water at all for them. But see, they still have a slave mindset. Slave in that mindset is, I only get what the taskmaster provides for me when they will provide for me. The taskmaster who's brutal, who doesn't care, who just wants me to work myself to the bone. But what has God literally just told them to do? I mentioned it to look for it. Sabbath. Rest, 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 rest. They come from a life. There was no Sabbath. It was work, 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 work. And God says, you're going to rest. I'm going to give you this to rest. So pay attention to that again as we go through this. And so they get to this point. It's a real need. It's a genuine need. They need water, of course, to, to live there. But they cannot fathom, again, anything but doom. They still can't picture. Because why? Egypt is still in them. They're out of Egypt, but Egypt is still in them. Right? They need to get Egypt out of them, and they need to do that by seeing God's glory. And that's why he sets them on this pattern, this rhythm, the morning and the evening cycle that he's going to go, right? And so they end up turning on the very people that God had provided and equipped them to lead. Moses and Aaron still learning, obviously. But listen, this is the same God who declared himself in Exodus chapter 3. What did he say? I have surely seen I have heard their cry. I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver and bring them up. And isn't he doing exactly that again, this side of the Red Sea? I have seen. I have heard their cry. I know their suffering. I'm their Lord now. I'm their Savior now. They're not under the oppression of the taskmasters. I have come down like manna, literally, and quail from heaven to bring them up, which is where they're headed towards Sinai, right? And yet here they are at Rephidim with amnesia. They don't remember. Listen, listen. The greatest fear that I have is not that I will have a massive moral failure, personally a big sin in my life, I don't want that, obviously. But the greatest fear is that I will have a failure to forget what God has done mm -hmm. for me in my past. What I have been saved 
from and set apart for. That I will act out of fear and I will act out of anxiety as if God had never provided me, as if God never established me with sure footing and saved me. That I would want to go back over the Red Sea behind me as if I could never recall what had happened. That is my fear. Oh God, never let me forget who you have been to me personally and who you are in the testimony of the women that you've allowed me to fellowship with. That's why we share our stories. That's why we meet together and hear and encourage each other so we don't forget, right? And the brother of Jesus who denied him as Lord and Messiah when, when he was living together before his resurrection, James said this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, like they had just experienced, and continues in it like God is asking them to do, continue in it, I'm testing you, continue, 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 not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. That's who we are. But the people have seen what he's done, they sang the song about it, top 40, they rejoiced, they've already had the sweet water, they had the manna, they had the quail from heaven, and now they're facing no water at all. Is God going to come through? Is this too big? It won't fix this. I can't imagine. Ladies, we need to pray that God will help us to have a better imagination to fathom <laughs> what he can do. <laughs> and remember that he's in charge of every single molecule, right? Everything he can provide, and he will, and he has, and he will continue to do that. So you would hope, you would want to think that they would pull up their past experience. And don't you find yourself as you're reading through this, you're kind of rooting for them. Come on, Israel. <laughs> and they, we want them to do that. Why? Because we want to think that that's what we'll do. We put ourselves like, I'm that person. I'm in, in Israel. We want them to pull up that past experience, those events in mind. And they say, Ah, he's done it before. He's going to do it again. Let's see what he's going to do now. Is the ground just going to split open and water's going to come gushing up? How is he going to make this happen? That's what we need to do with each other as well. When your friends, when women in the church, when anyone in the church, when anyone comes to you and says, oh my gosh, this and that, da, 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 and you just look at him and say, get ready. Get ready. He's going to provide. Look what he did. Look what he's done. What are we going to see? Something incredible. And you pray toward that. So they see their need and they present that to Yahweh, right? They said, oh, give us water to drink. Is that what, how it went? Nope. They quarreled with Moses. They quarreled with Moses, which is in your translation, they contended, they complained, they disputed, they reviled. Moses said to Moses and said, give us water to drink. Listen, it's not the lack. It's not the desire that's the issue. It's the attitude. And that's no big revelation for any of you if you've raised a teenager. <laughs> it's the attitude. You don't mind that they need new shoes. It's the attitude. You don't mind that they need food. It's the attitude. We're the same. Present your requests to God. Present to God. The issue is not to test God in the process and you need. Don't cop an attitude with God. Come before him with humility. You can handle it. Come before him in the circumstances that he's placed you in. He was the one who told them to take this journey. He put them in front of no water. 
<laughs> he put them in front of the bitter water, right? So instead of provoking God when faced with a need, our posture should be to pray, to praise, and to present our needs to God, to pray and to praise and to present our needs to God. Recall who he said he is. He sees, he hears, he knows, he's the healer. That's why over and over I fight, with, fight for you to get into the word and look for him because you're gonna change, you're gonna be moody, you're gonna want to or not want to. He's always gonna be there, always the same. Go to the word for who he is. Look to God, look to God, look to God and trust him. He'll part that sea. He'll miraculously provide for you your daily bread. He'll quench your thirst. Do not test the Lord's patience. And this is when they return to their song, right? And this is when they remembered and they nudged each other. What's God going to do? And Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do to this people? They're about to stone me. And God says, you shall strike the rock. See how God provides in different ways each time? Totally different. Pick up a log and hit the log against the, nope, strike the rock. Just listen. Listen to God. And that's why it's, it's so important for us to not get into ritual routines about how we address God and just say, whatever you got, God. And uh, su surprise me. I know you will. <laughs> you know, like seize candies, opening up the box and biting in. You never know what you're going to get. Oh, I hope it's not maple walnut. Strike the rock and the water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel and he called the name of the place Massah, testing, and Meribah, quarreling because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? <laughs> you just imagine. Is your, how can you ask that after all this? But how could I? I do the same. How could I ask? God is testing them. God is testing them. But they are not passing the test. Why? Because they're thirsty. No, because of their lack of faith. That's why. You, it's okay to be thirsty. It's okay to hunger. Faith. And it's a failure, in a sense, to sing. Right? And they're about to get the answer. Is the Lord among us or not? They're about to get that answer in a very serious life or death moment. Right after their thirst was quenched in this area, and they again see the Lord provide, they face a surprise attack. Uh, chapter 17, um, it says, uh, Amalek came down and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua later in Deuteronomy 25, we're going to get the whole story here. What they did was a surprise terrorist attack, literally. They picked off the weaklings in the back and they came at them from the back. And we'll hear again about this story later on in, in Deuteronomy. Uh, Moses calls uh, Joshua. He pivots quickly from dealing with these death threats of them throwing him off um, and stoning him to facing actual death in this, in this battle. Will the Lord, will Yahweh be with us or not? If he's over it with them, maybe he'll just let up the, you know, Am um, Amalek and the Amalekites take them. But no, it says, choose for us men, 
Go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did just as he was told. He fought with Amalek. Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill so they can kind of survey the whole thing. Whenever Moses holds up his hand, Israel prevailed. Wherever he lowers his hand, Amalek prevailed. You know the story, how it goes. It's so amazing, this visual of people coming alongside and supporting that leader in prayer. Moses' hands grow weary, so they take a stone. They let him sit on that, and he sits there, and they, they hold up his hand. They hold up his hands. And um, he sits down, and they're lifting up his hands, one on one side, one on the other side, and his hands are steady until it says, until the going down of the sun all day long. They stood there and held his arms up so he could do that. Could God just have killed off the Amalekites? Couldn't he have just wiped them out? Did Moses, is this part of the, we all have to do that? Is that how it works? We fight our battle, we got our hands up, and I got to have two. We don't, we don't want to make formulas out of the Bible. We don't want to live like that. That is how God did it then. And we can take some principles from this about how we come alongside each other and lift each other's arms up in a sense and pray. Of course we do that. But we have to remember that God is always working in new and exciting ways. Look around the room and look who he created. You're all very different. <laughs> Thank God we don't look like, you know, robotons out here. So Joshua does overwhelm Amalek and the people with the sword. And the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in the book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And we know later what ends up happening. Joshua needs to know this. And that's why he says, tell Joshua, really tell him, you're going to be dealing with these Amalekites later on. And they do later, way later on, till further, further, further along in the story. So Moses builds an altar and calls the name of it, the Lord is my banner. And we have another revelation of a, a way that God is identified. Yahweh, the sea. But listen, he doesn't call him this after the Red Sea. He doesn't call him the Lord is my banner. Could he have? Absolutely. A banner is the team flag. Yay, us. Go, Jesus. Team Jesus. Here's my flag. The Lord is my banner. That's what a banner is. It's like the, the, the banner that goes before the battle. And this is who the team is, you know, behind. We're God's team, right? So could have done it at the Red Sea. Lord is my banner at the Red Sea, right? It couldn't he have done it at the quail? Lord's my banner. And a good chef, too. Like, he provides all this good food. Manna. Lord's my banner. Nope. Water. Nope. After a victory over Israel's mortal enemy, that's when the Lord was given that title by Moses. The Lord is my, I am on team Yahweh. The Lord is my banner. Ladies, that's your banner too. That's, that's your badge. That's who you wear. That's the team. The Lord is your banner. Yahweh, let's see. He's the one that has fight for you. He's the man of war that has gone before you to fight your battles. And he says in, in verse 16, a hand upon the throne of the Lord, Yahweh will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Rawr, yelling, rawr, all that, right? And that blotting out is going to take time. They're gonna, the Amalekites are going to be there. And again, couldn't God just have wiped them all out right now? But he tells them ahead of time, you're going to deal with this for a long time, generation after generation. From, her, from here, the word gets out, and um, he's his little family reunion, and he gets reunited with um, Jethro, and eventually after that with his, um, his wife, Zipporah, and the kids and all that. They hear of all that God has done for Moses, and, um, and how the Lord brought him up out of Israel, and out of, uh, I mean, toward Israel, out of, out of Egypt. And it's this wonderful reunion they have with this. And you kind of Aren't you like me where you kind of wish, I wish I would have known more. I want to see the scene. 
where Moses runs and hugs a poor in slow motion through a sunflower field or something like that, right? And they, they hug and they're reunited with the kids. They were probably teenagers by now. The kids are like, manna, you know, <laughs> teenagers and all that. But we get this wonderful passage here. And it's, again, it's set in, compar- in, in, in comparison with this battle scene with Amalek. And everything that Moses does is he's supported by um, her and Aaron. And then he sits down, he's, you know, they're having their little Turkish coffee or whatever they're drinking back then, and sit down with Jethro. And um, Jethro sees everything Moses is doing and said, this is not good, what you're doing. You're, you're going to wear out. You're going to wear yourselves out, man. I mean, they can hold your arms up for the day on that battle, but the way you're functioning, this is need to be... This seemed to be rethought how you're doing this. So he gives them all the breakdown of how to do that. And it's this wonderful passage of bringing in someone from the outside. And that's exactly what we need in our lives too as well. Sometimes we just need perspective. And I will say this with Suzanne here, she and I have been offering that perspective to each other, me into her ministry and her into mine here and, and sharing with each other what we're seeing and blessing each other. Like, wow, that's really great. And vice versa back. You just need that. Cultivate those types of people in your life who can speak good truth into your life that is based on God's principles and God's word. So Jethro gives him all of this, and um, he says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you, God says, how I bore you on eagles' wings, brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the people, for all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Those are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. This is how you should be known. So Moses calls the elders together and they assemble there before uh, Mount Sinai and it comes down um, on, the, on the cloud. We're gonna get into that portion of it actually the next time we meet. But from here, I want us to, to key in on how God sets them apart and tells them who they're gonna be. Why? Because what's the best commentary on the Old Testament? New Testament and Peter brings this up in first Peter chapter 2 verse 9 and he reminds us that's who we are is the grafted in uh, we are a part of that we are now the chosen race the royal priesthood a holy nation a people for his own possession why why what's the purpose for that that good good yay for us no so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. This is exactly what God did with Moses and the people. He called them out of Egypt into his marvelous light. This is who you are and this is why you exist. If you want to know your purpose in life, go back to this verse, right? And how could we then keep from singing? We know who we are. Egypt is out of us. We're no longer slaves. I don't have that mindset. I don't think like a slave. I'm free because of who I am in Christ. Not only that, but I've been chosen a royal priesthood. What do priests do? They make the connection from here to God for everybody in our lives. Holy nation of people for his possession, owned and bought by him, ransomed by him. How can we keep from singing? We can't. We can't. We shouldn't. And so the opening song, the very first song in the Bible, is also the final song recorded in the Bible. In Revelation, also chapter 15. That might be an easy way for you to remember it, because it's Exodus 15, and it's also Revelation 15. 
And this is the song. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Yahweh, God, the Almighty, El Shaddai. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. That word Melech, king, like in Melchizedek, remember him? O Melech of the nations, who will not fear, O, o Lord, and glorify your name? Everyone will fear and glorify your name. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. For you alone are holy, and he's made us holy because of Christ. And all nations will come. All nations will worship you, for your righteous deeds have been revealed. How can we keep from singing? We can't. And here's why. Because we know who we are. We're not slaves. We've been bought with a price. We have been made free. That's why we can't help but sing. And that's why it's our mission to make sure the people we love and we know in our life that God brings to us know that truth as well. Let's pray and thank God.